Kia Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Epic Aotearoa, Create a Better Future podcast, and in particular, this special series, In the Service of Others, Who Dares Wins. We have a very special guest today. Sounds like we had and travelled a little bit of a similar path to a degree in many respects. He's a yeah, cheeky Samoan yeah. lad, from uh, born and raised here in New Zealand. But actually, from there, maybe if I can, if it's all right with you, Phil, um, I might let you carry on with with your brief introduction in terms of the, the TF side of things and then when you moved and then eventually joining the Australian Specialist Service, which is where I ended up as well, but you had been and gone there before I got there. Would you mind doing that? Yeah, for sure, bro. Um, so, awesome. yeah, started off and um, moved to Australia as a young kid. Uh, we took it to it all, all the way around Australia, uh, and then I went back to NZ. Uh, with right. Them. And uh, it was over there where I finished school. I had about 13 different jobs. Um, <laughs> one of them was pretty good job, which uh, I, I you know, didn't follow through on. I started a fitting and turning apprenticeship at uh, wow. William Cables Limited down in uh, Kai Whara Whara. It was a great place to do an apprenticeship because it was a marine workshop. Um, oh, yeah. High-level engineering, some really interesting stuff and some massive jobs. But um, while I was working for those guys, I uh, signed up with TF as a sapper yep. uh, out at Sixfield Squadron, um, Paddy Street in Petone. Um Man, I'll tell you what, you take a, a young Polynesian boy who's already a bit of a pyromaniac and you introduce <laughs> him to mine warfare, demolitions, booby traps, you know, uh, water supply, bridging, uh, field machines, everything else that the army had forgotten about and just bundled into the old field engineers lot. I was in my element, you know. And they pulled, they pulled me aside and they said, listen, young fella, you need to make a decision. You know, we accept that we have to let you go away for your uh, territorial service but you shouldn't be doing that during an apprenticeship, so you need to make a decision. Do you want to be a soldier mm. or a fitter? And I chose soldier. Gotcha. <laughs> it wasn't the awesome. answer they wanted, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I bet. But then uh, at the time, um, I chased uh, a girlfriend over to Australia. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Happened to be back in Oz um, with uh, my mum again and George. We were in Adelaide. And yep. uh, I, I lobbed up and said... Uh, bro, I'm going to join the army. And he looked at me and said, I'll come with you. So we both signed up <laughs> the next day uh, together. Wow. Yeah, and that was interesting too because uh, they were supposed to raise two platoons at uh, one RTB Kapuka uh, and yep. two brothers, you know, one would go to each of the platoons that got raised, but not enough people turned up. So we just had one large platoon, uh, 14 platoon B company with, with both of us in the same platoon during basic oh, yeah, Both troublemakers in the same oh. platoon. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it was, it was awesome because I knew that, you know how they try and break you down? It's, it's like selection, yep. but on a smaller scale. And they try and yep. break you down and individualize you. They couldn't do that with two brothers, you know. So they nicknamed <laughs> us uh, Heckle and Jekyll. Uh, as Heckle and Jekyll. Yeah, and I knew no matter what was going on, he had my back and, you know, I had his. Yeah. Um, and we got, we got persecuted a bit for being Kiwis, you know, um, Sergeant Taffy Payne bit of a legendary PTI uh, during yep. the 80s, he, uh, he'd pull us out in front of the squad. So, right, today we're going for a 15-kilometre run, wearing those stupid little Dunlop volleys, the white T-shirts, <laughs> the, the green shorts that come halfway down your thighs, you know. And they go, but before we do that, I'd like to celebrate the All Blacks' glorious defeat of the Wallabies. And Heckle and Jekyll over here, and he'd push us in the pool. And then you're right, platoon, move to the right and threes, right, turn, quick. March, you know, break into double time. Come on, you two, stop mucking around. So we climb out of the pool. You go running after everyone wearing wet shorts. Your socks Wait. are bunched up in those stupid little shoes. 
You get blisters all over your feet, chafing inside of your legs. So there's only one thing you can do when they do that to you. It's we come first and second on the run. You know? And it, it just made us harder, you know, work harder, push through harder. Mm-hmm. And it kind of set the tone for uh, both of our military careers at, uh, you know, right from the get-go. And that's yeah. the reason there's only two rugby teams I support. The All Blacks and whoever plays against the Wallabies. <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh, I, awesome. I feel justified in that, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, went through um, basic training, no problems. Um, yep. During IETs. Um, <laughs> as, as recruits, as IETs um, at Singleton, at the Infantry Centre, you're not supposed to play yep. rugby. But the um, Dolly Dyer CSMs had a look around and gone, there's two Kiwi fellas in that platoon over there. He goes, right, get those guys over. We were playing rugby for Depot Company. Uh, yeah, as, right. As, as, as recruits, you know. Yeah, yeah. IETs, yeah. And, and I got I got pinned in a mall and busted my left eye and got a blowout fracture. I had to go to hospital, got surgery and uh, plate and, Is that right? and wire and stuff. Yeah, put the bottom First of half or second half of the game? I, man, I can't even remember. Can't remember. Yeah, right. I just remember being pinned in this big mall. Um, it was one of the local boys, one of the local coal miners, and I, I knew him from Thursday nights, punching on at uh, Sweethearts down there. Uh, and he, I think it was a bit of payback. He, he clocked my dial and thought, right, this guy's arms are pinned, smash. Um, so I got back squatted. And so yeah. I'm in there with the sick, lame and lazy. Uh, man, I, I had a great time in there because I was always in the shape. Uh, got into a bit, bit more trouble. Uh, until finally they thought, you know what, better put this guy back in a platoon <laughs> and get him out of here. So George <laughs> finished IETs before me. Right. And I, was, uh, I think it was three, four months that I ended up uh, doing doing in uh, in limbo. Um, and then uh, he got posted, initially is with uh, 10IRC, uh, based at Singo as their demo platoon. Yep. Um, and I got posted to... Uh, Three hour hour. <laughs> they identified yeah. early on that I had a fear of heights. So uh, yeah, how did they how did they identify that? Was it through yeah, IETs or something? Yeah, during IETs, there are a couple of things where you, you go up on this high um, high course that was over over the water, and as I got yeah. close to the edge, you know, my knees are going weak and I'm trying to gotcha. sit down and grab the edge sort of thing, and they go, I didn't like this, so they sent me to a parachute battalion. And you go, right. Come on, guys. You know, <laughs> I've got this fear of heights, and you go and do that to me. So, um, and that that was pretty interesting too. You you turn up. Uh, it's quite intimidating. You arrive at the battalion with uh, the green hat instead of the cherry red beret. Uh, yeah. And it's it's quite intimidating. You know the um, the the motivation to be part of the pack. And until you've got the right coloured hat, you're never really part of the pack. You know, you're not part of mm. the team. You just you're a wannabe, um, and so yeah. you got to work that little bit harder. So I went down and um, first basic parachute course, uh, smashed in hard. Did uh, did my left AC joint, so off again. Ah, waited right. about another two months before wearing the wrong hat in the battalion. <laughs> so we yeah, go yeah. back and finish it off, and then uh, got qualified. And during that time, um, so I'd done my first course. I knew, uh, and was, this was before we got the new Alice Packs and H harnesses, you know, 
was the old carrying straps, personal equipment, parachutists. The World War II <laughs> cesspit. You got the wrapping <laughs> sheet and then the harness, um, you know, the, the hemp rope. Uh, oh, uh, right. Gee, dinosaur days. Yeah, well, yeah. Guys pack all their gear and get ready to go off and do. Um, they jump, we jumped into Cocos just to do a uh, projection of force demonstration that Australia right. could reach out and just get offshore and put a, a capable force on the ground. And that's where we had uh, one of our first serious accidents on a T10, and that was um, Fozzy um, in our platoon, uh, Fozzy Spear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most of those, most of that equipment that those guys had, it was so light, it was just a demo jump. So, yeah. you know, a lot of them would have been worried that when they reached down to lower their gear, it was going to float up. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's not a lot of, <laughs> it's pretty much clean fatigue with a, a token, you know, combat equipment. Yeah, okay. Fight. Um, yeah. But he speared in hard uh, under a partial malfunction uh, and lost both his legs from the knees down. Oh, right. So this, oh, is, this is like hell. I'm not even qualified yet, and already uh, we've had some attrition in the platoon. Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of set the tone from day one. Uh, oh, right. After that, within the battalion, um, quite a colourful career, I suppose is the best way to describe it. Um, yeah, yeah. Many occasions I had more fun than humans were meant to but you know what boys will be boys and uh, all the stuff on my charge record there's nothing uh, malicious or, or nasty it was all mischief you know yeah have a few beers showing off to the boys hey watch this I'm only going to do it once uh, those kind of things <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah got in a lot of trouble me and uh, first promotion yeah um, 87 we uh, was through attrition uh, we jumped in uh, on a, an exercise, uh, DZ Silver Plains. Um, it's the first big drop I've ever, ever been, a you know, mass drop. Eight aircraft, the entire parachute battalion group uh, went up to Cohen. Uh, interestingly, George was on the ground as uh, from when he was with 6RR as the enemy. Right. So they were watching the, you know, the, the parachute uh, battalion come in. And uh, yeah. eight aircraft... Uh, I got out of aircraft number five. You know, the, we do the cross-loading so that um, out of our section, the guys are stretched across eight aircraft, but all coming out of the, yeah, same, wow. the same side, around about the same place. Yep. Um, this malfunction came flapping past me, um, just making this huge banging sound. And uh, I watched them come streaming past, banging oh. in the ground. And it looked like, you know, Coyote and Roadrunner, the big donut cloud? Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what it looked That's like. What it... Yeah, it's got to hurt. So I've, I've steered over towards uh, whoever that was. Um, yeah. I got over there. It was my two IC, um, Craig Bateman. Oh, right. Uh, Bato went in hard. Yeah. Um, I, I started to do his HR&D, uh, make sure that the canopy wasn't going to reinflate and go anywhere and start, started to get, you know, disconnect his cape wells and loosen up his harness. Uh, yeah. At the same time, the, the medics arrived. And then once the ambo pulled up, I thought, I'm not helping here. I'm just getting in the way, so I'll go to the rally point. And in the what, 15 minutes it took me to get to the rally point, he passed away. So oh, CSM met me with yeah. a brazard and said, mate, I've got good news and bad news. You've been promoted to Lance Corporal, but uh, Beto didn't make it. Go and tell the section. So that was it. That was Far out. Yeah. It's your first promotion and your first I guess, introduction to go tell your tell your team. Yeah. It's passing yeah, some tragic information. Yeah, and then uh, hell, man. and then again later, um, Brundee, <laughs> we, we got out on another training jump, and uh, 
it was just freak wind conditions, you know. On the DZ, it was okay. We had um, pathfinders from the regiment had gone in earlier, and they'd set up the yeah. top zone safety officer piece, and everything looked good on the ground. But when the aircraft got up overhead, there it was just bizarre. The winds, I'd never seen anything like it. So um, yeah. they did a stop drop halfway through, and I was one of the ones, one of the guys who actually got out the door. And uh, you, you know when you're you're in an aircraft coming into land, and you look out the window as you cross the threshold, and you realise, geez, that's moving fast. Well, that's what yeah. it looked like under a T10. You know, I'm thinking, oh, is that right? Great. Yeah, brace yourself, Talalay. This is going to hurt. Um, and I've right. done my jump instructors course by that stage. I thought, yep. there's no way I'm getting injured on this. <laughs> what kind of jump instructor am I going to be? <laughs> so I've locked it in, turned it off, come ripping in, bang, sideline, perfect landing, and then projected back into the air and then landed flat on my back like a sack of potatoes. I heard this wow. tumbling sound. I've looked down and there's my combat equipment rolling towards me. I've put my hands up and braced myself and the canopy's reinflated and I've Taken across, uh, taken off backwards across the ground. Um, but we, I think we we stuck seventy two guys in hospital on that one. Um, on that one jump. One jump, yeah, yep. Um, so that, that was second promotion. I uh, went from uh, senior section commander to troop sergeant uh, to platoon sergeant. Uh, Far out. When, when was this? What era? What what uh, uh, is this in the eighties? Ninety two. Brundy was ninety two. Ninety-two. I think it was. I think it was ninety-two. I, I might have that number. It might be 89, 90, somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Right. And so, man, there's a lot there just in in that piece. Well, I, I, I want to stay in there for a little bit if I can. So you're you've mentioned a few things: Six Field Squadron, TF, Royal New Zealand Engineers. You were doing this apprenticeship there, and you, you mentioned the place there, a, a, a marine. Marine apprenticeship? Is that what it was? Oh, yeah. No, so I was doing a fitting and turning apprenticeship. Fitting and the, turning. Uh, yeah, but the, the workshop wasn't just some little backyard workshop. It was heavy engineering. It was a marine yeah, workshop. Right. So um, the inter-island ferries, you know, uh, oh, between wow. North and South Island. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That was one of our jobs. And they've, they've got these massive uh, V16 peel stick engines we'd work on. Um, the Australian Venturer was one of the ships I worked on as a young apprentice. Yeah. Um, Three-story high, eight-cylinder MAN uh, bulk fuel engine. You know, I'm standing on one of the cylinder heads going, where's the engine? And I go, you're standing on it, mate. <laughs> I look around. What? He goes, yeah, this is a cylinder head. And this thing had blown around. cylinder number five on its approach to Wellington. And they found out about that because there's bits of aluminium and piston ring coming through the turbo. Uh, and they figured, right, I will just power down and, and cruise in. Once the ships arrived, it was our job to go in there and pull those, pull the head off, take the sleeves out, uh, resurface the head. As an apprentice, I was handed a, a bucket and told to climb into the exhaust manifold <laughs> and pick up all the aluminium and piston rings. And the foreman's oh, briefing right. before I went in there, he said, uh, make sure you take a lead light and get someone else to stand at the end there because they finished changing out all the, all the um, blades in the turbo and they're ready to lower that thing back down. And we're going to start this thing this afternoon. You don't want to be oh, in there yeah. when we start it. You know? And I thought, geez, that's no good. They yeah, made sure there, the was, there were no lead lights available, only a dolphin torch. <laughs> you know? And they set me up because the guy standing down the end there, keeping an eye, talking to me as I went in, uh, I've climbed, it's taken me 30 minutes to climb 
through the connecting segments around, there's a big flue that comes out uh, from, from the head into the exhaust manifold. Over and around those, it's about 42 degrees heat in there. You know, it was stinking hot. And the engine's been shut down for a couple of days while we worked on it. Wow. minutes to climb all the way up to number five and fill this bucket. If I was smart, I would have gone, taken the bucket gone around? all the way up. Oh. No, take the bucket up empty and then fill it coming back. Because now, by the time I get there, the bucket's uh, full. Yeah. You know? And now I've got to carry this heavy Got bucket you, all yeah. the way back, you know. <laughs> I think, think that one through. But they set me up, and the, the guy the guy on the end said, oh, Phil, I've got to go and take a piss. So he's gone off to take a piss. And I said, yeah, no worries, thinking he'd be gone for five minutes, and I'll be right. And uh, then I start hearing the chain blocks. And you look down, it was like watch. it was like watching a uh, an eclipse, you know, where the round circle oh. light at the end was getting... It took me about three minutes to get back down the other end. <laughs> they were all rolling around on the ground, laughing their heads off. You should have seen right? face, you know? Yeah, but uh, right. cool well, what are you supposed to think? Cool experience, God, yeah, but man, hairy, all right. Uh, I, I could imagine, like, because the, the health and safety wouldn't have been uh, anywhere near what it is, like what it is no, these days. No, mate. no, no, nothing at all. <laughs> the, the foreman kind of set the tone for the whole whole lot. This uh, big Dutch fella called Joe. Um, it literally, you know, the saying: um, every problem looks like a nail when your toolbox is full of yeah, hammers. Yeah, yeah, with little um, hammers. Yep. Joe's toolbox was full of hammers. Um, he, <laughs> he didn't believe in this precise stuff, and the engineers would come down and say, well, "We've got to talk these heads down to uh, 72 uh, newton meters." And he'd go, oh, yeah. "Stuff that." He goes, "Get a um, a uh, hammer, six foot six foot apprentice on a five foot five foot pole uh, to lean on the spanner, and, that, and that'll be enough." And he's looked around and seen me and said. Give the fella a six-foot pole. <laughs> so I've got on there, torque this, this head down with this thing here, and I've, I've thrown everything at it. I've torqued down, and it's a big job. There's a lot of, lot of like we're, we're talking two-inch, you know, fine thread uh, nuts to pull down on this thing. Got them all down until I couldn't move them anymore. And then the engineers come along with a Newton wrench and going, dink, 72, dink, <laughs> that's spot on, you know. So Joe was right? with guts. But he knew his yeah. stuff. He'd been doing it for a while. He was, he was one of those guys. Good. He could listen to an engine and go, "Yeah, yeah the bearing on number three is about to go." <laughs> you know that, that kind of bloke. Yeah, Far out. we've lost a lot of those skills. Interesting, man. Like I've only heard stories, and this is another story that I've heard. But you've had first-hand experience, and of people like that that just have this knack can listen to engines running and know exactly like you said what's wrong or what's going on with that and I want to ask you so what was what was schooling like for you to be into to get into engineering to to have a desire oh. to want to do that in the first place what, what was your schooling and education like Phil? School was all over the place um, yeah so we traveled a lot uh, I don't think I did uh, two years at the same high school you know we would uh, you'd get in get settled and then you were gone you moved to the next place, well, you know, in school in uh, Adelaide, changed schools in Darwin, um, got interrupted by Cyclone Tracy as a kid in 1974. Yeah, right. So we ended up going back down to Adelaide, then back to Darwin, uh, Brisbane, uh, just all over. So arrived back in New Zealand when mum went back over there. Uh, George and I went to Rongatai College in Wellington. Um, right. Good school. Good. Yeah, interesting fact. Uh, later on, when I was yeah. in the regiment in Australia, um, three guys from the same era were like within a five-year block. There were three guys serving there at the same time that all went to wrong. Oh, time. wow. 
think that's a pretty <laughs> good check mark against their name. Yeah. Um, I'll say. Love my sciences, love the engineering. Uh, physics and science were probably my strong suits. Um, wow. And so, awesome. Yeah, and the, the old man was a boilermaker. Right. So yeah, yeah. As, as a kid, you know, I'd, I'd go in and I'd muck around. He t- taught me how to gas weld. wasn't pretty, you know, but, was <laughs> uh, but at least yeah. I had to go and I had the concept in my mind of, of what you could do with metal and how you could change and shape things to mold it to, to your needs. And I suppose that was right. always in the background, back in my head. Yeah. Yep. Like, like, like that's good, awesome. good stead. Because uh, w- one of my favorite passions, it's not a hobby, it's a passion, is to build and crash things that fly. Uh, remote control <laughs> aeroplanes and helicopters and stuff. And the joy in crashing yeah. them is you get to rebuild it again and fix that thing you didn't like and make it better, you know. And yeah. when uh, when we lived in Vietnam, um, I couldn't get the spare parts I needed. So I bought a um, CNC milling machine, CNC lathe, and a 3D printer. <coughs> I started making my own parts. Uh, Far out. Oh, I want to ask you, Phil, why the why was there so much moving for you guys as a young? So I'm assuming it's just is it just you and George and mum and dad? Uh, so no, dad passed away uh, early in the right seventy four. Mum and dad broke up prior to that. Uh, okay, so, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, and her her work, uh, it there was plenty of scope for her to move to different areas, and so she took that opportunity. Oh wow, and she moved, and we moved with her. And that's why, yeah, okay, yeah. What was mum yeah. doing for work? What was her? She worked for working. the government. Oh, I, I okay, don't know yeah, yeah. Exactly what she did with the government. I don't think it's yeah. anything secret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah, could have been. Oh man! Wow, that's a, yeah. Because I was just thinking, that's a heck of a lot of lot of travelling. But great to hear, like how you guys obviously sounds like you just took advantage of the situations that you were in when you had the opportunity and really study and focus. Was did your, was your mum quite hard in pushing you guys with your study and education or was that just something no, I, self-driven? I, no, it was self-driven. And, and we're mm. extremely competitive, you know. You grow yeah, up in a family a with five kids yeah, you, and you want to get uh, access to the leftovers, you better clean this plate before you can reach for <laughs> the pot again. You know, those, and it's just everything yeah, was yeah. competition. Um, <laughs> and it, there was there was a bit of a gap too between George and I and the older siblings. Yeah. And so um, we, we there was a sixth uh, family member, a, a sister Susan, but she she passed away as a kid. Passed. Uh, and so mm. then there was this big gap. Uh, and then what we joke in the family and say that. Uh, I was a mistake, and George was there to keep the mistake company. <laughs> so it was, kind of like, it, was, it was kind of like two groups of siblings, you know what I mean? The, the, the yeah, first three yeah. were really tight uh, and had a lot of shared experiences, and then George yeah. and I uh, were, were a subgroup within that. <laughs> yeah, a subgroup within that. <laughs> Crack up. Okay, sibling rivalry, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, yeah. I don't know. I just think that monkey mind, you know, being curious, yep. always asking questions, playing with things until they break and then trying to fix it before dad came home. Yep. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Um, yeah. but we're both so what's the, what's the age gap between you and George? Uh, a year. A year, one year. Just Sweet. a year, yep. Man, 
That's so interesting. I'm, I'm really glad that you've shared that that stuff and quite a bit of the background and stuff there. Actually, I didn't mention, for those, and correct me if I'm wrong, but our guest, it's Philip Tolele, eh? Yeah. Yep. The surname. So yes. I, I have a, did the guys there, which you touched on in the army, did they start, because I remember George, everybody was going, oh, do you know George Tellerlei? And I was like, who the, who the heck is George Teller, I was like, no. Like, obviously, he was already in the unit while I was there when I come yeah, through. Yeah. But I was, and then when I seen the name, I was like, what is going on here? But I shouldn't, I should not have been surprised because it was sort of the Australian way to just, oh, I can't say that name, so I'll just make up a name. Oh, did, did, were yeah, they no, saying your name like that? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. Um, I remember <laughs> when I first turned up to Wairu for um, the 35th TF intake. Uh, the bus turned up, we got off, and straight away, you know, uh, Sergeant Bashara, I'll never forget the guy, and he was totally over here, and he think, geez, he knows my name already, you know. <laughs> Whereas in the Australian Army, you'd see the uh, the uh, quartermaster sergeant come around the corner while you're sitting there cleaning weapons, you'd think, oh, here we go, there's, I know there's a truck needs cleaning, and he'd yeah. look around, he'd be looking at me, and he'd go... Smith, Jones, Brown, get over there and clean that truck. <laughs> you know, it's good to have a tough name. Um, you know, and so okay. you, you cop stuff like um, wheelbarrow with a T, uh, tell a lot. Well, and you, yeah, come on, mate. You think? I haven't heard that before. Okay, no case, but yeah, it's it's interesting that that Australian humour. And I want to, I guess, dive into that because three RAR. Um, you based in Holsworthy? They, were they in Holsworthy then yes, at the time yeah, in Sydney? Right. Yep. yep. And um, Maroon Beret, they're wearing? Yeah. Yep. And so for you, because you mentioned, you know, wearing the, wearing the green beret when you get there or the wrong colour beret, whatever people want to describe yeah. it, how long did it take before you earned and received your three area Maroon Beret? Um, so uh, late. It would have been about. I was probably in the unit for about four months, five months before I right. could get the right coloured hat because I had to go back to do a second uh, basic para course because yeah. uh, I frapped in on the first one. Because of injury, eh? yeah. yeah, so I turned yeah. up and then had to wait a couple of months to get the first course. Injury, yeah. wait a couple of months to heal and then get on the next available course. And so that, that second awesome. one, I went back there and I thought, I don't care what happens on this. I'm going to finish the course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to yeah. a broken leg, you know. I'm not coming back mm-hmm. for a third shot at this. And um, yeah. yeah. And how many, how many jumps and stuff? What was the so? What was the process for that? Because even though I ended up at Holsworthy there at four area, like three was just across the road sort of thing. But I never looked into what was what was the requirement to become a properly buried. Coloured three hour um, so operator. Finished the, the basic parachute course. Um, so you did all the, the ground training in theory. Yeah. Uh, then you did your t- first two clean fatigue jumps from a uh, caribou. Um, mm. First one's easy because you don't know what's going to happen. Second one's <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah. You know what it feels like because now you know off, what. Yeah. Step off that ramp and you're thinking, holy crap. Um, <laughs> and then uh, from there we introduce. Uh, then they transition to uh, clean fatigue from a hurt. I think it's a couple yep. of jumps, and then it's uh, just single side door exits. Then we introduce yep. combat equipment, and then yep. it's um, combat equipment uh, f- from side door exit from a herc, and then they do sim doors. And then once yep. you've done, oh, uh, sorry, night jump, night jumps, night the final jumps, qualifying yep. jump, yeah. Gotcha. So sim doors, combat equipment at night, uh, and yep. you go, 
And if you come back, you get your hat. <laughs> yeah, no, as you can. And how did that? Were there any water jumps on that during that no, period? No, those, not, no, not not intentional ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the water jump was a. Um, so I, got, I got posted to the school. That was my next posting yeah. after three hour hour. Was to. I was going to ask. You. Um, yep. So we, the water jumps were a good uh, intro. Uh, usually, so you want to get as many of your officers as you can to do a parachute jump, and you, it's it's a three week course to put them on to jump them onto land. And there's an attrition yep. rate. You know, you break a few bodies. Yeah. So the easy way to get their knees in the breeze is to throw them into the water, because you don't have to teach them the landing drills. All you have to teach yep. them is the uh, the uh, aircraft. Um, drills and the, the flight drills, you know, and, and your, your reserve drills, you don't have to yeah. teach them how to land. Just lock your feet and knees together, uh, hit the water yeah. and release your cape wells. Um, <laughs> so we, we would do quite a few water jumps. Um, when I was posted to the um, to the parachute school, it was kind of sneaky. What, um, what the school did, they got slots for 12 instructors. So I was a qualified instructor, but as a corporal, um, you know, they, they couldn't put me, they could put me in a, into a sergeant slot as an instructor, but they lose another instructor. So they sneak me in the right. back door by putting me in charge of airborne platoon. And then they drag me out of airborne platoon and chuck me up in the hangars every time they needed, uh, you know, a spare wheel or some right. backup or someone to fill in. Or all of those miscellaneous courses that no one else wants to run. <laughs> Drop zone, safety officer, uh, stick commander, static line. And, and so they became my babies. I, I took over those. Gotcha. But, um, when it came to free fall, uh, yeah, for the free fall stuff, man, we were in our class of our own. So we, our guys would all fly the cameras, um, and so I got into the uh, editing. And initially, awesome. we had the old editing suite with the high eight tapes, where you you know cut in, cut out, and adjust <laughs> your frames. And you only had three cuts before you know you couldn't make a, a fourth copy. You just lose too much quality. Uh, dubbing sound over the top of it and stuff like that. So we, we got right into the whole audio visual side of things. It was pretty cool. Well, new skills too, learning new skills. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And how did that feel? So once you, because I'm, I'm just trying to get a feel before I, before we get into the Australian SAS stuff, which which would be great as well. But how did you feel once you got that beret at 3RAR? Did you feel like, did it feel different? Did you feel, or did you just feel like you were, oh. you were part of the group now? No, no, absolutely. Um, when you're wearing a when you're wearing a, a green hat in a mm. unit with maroon berets or dulcery red, you feel like an outsider, you know. And then all of a sudden, yeah. once I had that thing on, I was already established and I'd already established yeah. in the bar rooms. <laughs> I could hold. Yeah. And so, so that was it, you know. And I, I yeah, I, I felt very comfortable right at home. Yeah. Uh, uh, battalion. Awesome. During the uh, mid to late 80s, was a pretty awesome place. You know, the uh, the camaraderie, the esprit de corps, uh, was fantastic. Mm. We, we would always have a crack at the uh, five seven RER guys across the road from us, and uh, there were a lot of big, you know, boozer standoffs and things, uh, <laughs> and, and funny stories around that. But then you'd be in town, and some uh, Matlow uh, Navy guy would give a five seven RER guy a hard time, and that bang, that was it. My brother, you know. And you'd punch on with the Navy, and then once that was finished, we'd keep punching on with these guys over here. It was all, you know, it was all, all just, um, it was just character just building. Really, yeah. yeah, and it had a really good feel about it, you know. Um, 
Uh, and some of the friendships that I made during that time, uh, I, I still hold today. Um, came mm-hmm. back to Australia from Vietnam a, a while back when I landed in Darwin, an old mate from the Parachute Battalion, um, uh, Dean, Dean Pierce. Uh, he said, oh, come, come and stay with me. I said, no, no, I'm staying at my brother's. He goes, no, you're going to come and stay with me. I said, but dude, I'm going to stay at my brother's place. He goes, Phil, you're going to stay with me. I said, yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> I'll give you stay at your place for four days and I'm going to my brother's house. And he's picked me up. We've jumped in the car. And it was like we just picked up a conversation that we hadn't finished 23 years ago. You know, it was yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, I know those guys and they know me better than better than some of my own family know me. You know, mm-hmm. they've seen me at my best and they've seen me at my yeah. worst. Uh, they've yeah. scraped me off the pavement and got me in a taxi and got me home. You know, they've, they've helped me get up uh, Stand 11 at um, Land Warfare Centre Canungra <laughs> and I've helped them, <laughs> those, those sorts of things. Um, you, you, you don't make friends like that uh, easily mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah I reckon. That's awesome. So good to hear. And thanks for sharing that as well. I wanted to ask you, Phil, as well, with with regards to your journey into the Defence Force, which I didn't ask at the start, how old were you when you when you decided to forego the, I guess, the apprenticeship at that time and and join the Army to commit fully to it? How old were you? Oh, geez. Um, 19. I was 19. 19. Yeah, wow. so I was 17 when I was a TF sapper. Yep. Um, I... When I went through 35th intake, they run those, you know, the POSBEs, possible officer Posbies. selection boards. Yeah, possible oh, no. officer selection board. It's, right, it's okay. Just a, yep. um, it's a series of aptitude tests that go over uh, four days where they just give you all of these. It's like a, a cerebral selection, you know, with yeah, a lot okay. of uh, challenges and things to see how you could conceptualize and communicate and those sorts of things. It's a 17-year-old yep. kid. I topped it. Um, oh, I beat everyone else. But they couldn't give me a pass because I was too young. So right. I had to be 19 to, to get a commission. And they said, so what I got was a, a not yet. <laughs> said, yeah, not yet. He's okay. suitable, but yeah, let him get a couple couple more years under A couple more years. Uh, so, yeah, so did that play in your mind when you went when you committed to the Army? Did you think about going back to, to do that, to follow through on that part, the commissioning piece? So, so when I joined the Army in Australia, mm. George had already served with um, 10 RSAR. Mm. Uh, 10 RSAR, first on Gallipoli, first in Milne Bay. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's how he describes it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, as, as an infantry soldier, and so I was telling him stories about um, uh, about my, my service in the, as a sapper, mine yeah. warfare, demolitions, booby trap, bridging, those yeah. sorts of things. And uh, he was telling me his stories about uh, being an infantry soldier and the story about firing the 84mm Carl Gustav one. Cool, yeah. So yeah. when you went through Kapuka, you know, they do that aptitude test. Is, uh, <laughs> that sheet, the green sheet, with 72 different roles, and they assess you for your um, your mechanical ability, you know, all these different uh, skill sets that you have. Right. And what they'll do with the green sheet is cross out all the ones that you're, you don't have the aptitude for, that you're not suitable for, and for some poor fellas, the only one left at the bottom is infantry. Infantry. Uh, <laughs> That's <yeah>. me. <laughs> yeah. Well, George and I both had clean green sheets. You know, we could have chosen whatever we wanted. Mm. And first choice, infantry. Wow. 
<laughs> we had people trying to talk us out of it. What do you want to go infantry for? You can I do bet. anything you want. Yeah. Dude, infantry, infantry needs smart guys too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. And it has got a whole bunch of smart guys too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, think, Man, I think things have awesome. changed a bit because it, it, mate, I, my first section commander was um, given the choice, go to jail or join the army. You know, wow. they, they, those were the, those yeah, were the yeah. characters that were around mm. in the mid, mid-80s. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, they were no-nonsense people. You didn't mess around with those guys, you know. Yeah. They whipped into shape. I can imagine. Real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and so then into there, obviously the infantry story or the, the stories, the infantry experiences won out in your mind. Was it, was it what you expected then once you got to infantry? That was better. Yeah. It was better, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, awesome. the group of the group of blokes that I work with, um, I got promoted pretty quickly. Um, yeah, and then uh, so I went from carrying. Oh yeah, so I, I started off as carrying the machine gun. Yep. They look at me and go, hmm. Yeah, yep. he would be a, yeah strong. He can <laughs> yeah. carry. Give him a yeah. gun. Yeah. <laughs> Get that gun up that hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got I got pretty good. I. It's, uh, started, I fell in love with that thing. Then I became number one rifleman. Um, and in right. those days, the number one rifleman in the battalion was carrying the, the Bren. Right. And I, I, I actually right. enjoyed the Bren better because um, she didn't have a floating barrel and didn't give you a cone of fire. She wasn't really a machine gun. It was really a, an automatic rifle because she was accurate as heck. Yeah, um, right. I loved that Bren. What a <laughs> um, and then I got promoted um, to, to IC. Back to the gun group, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And so then, for you there, with with regard, and that's great to hear that it that it was that you found it even better, enjoyed it, and the people there. I think you pro- sounds like you'll agree make make the difference in terms of or make that environment and that culture what it is. Yeah. What then? Who who was it? Was it yourself or George first, or was it people that you were surrounded by, or what then caused you to? pivot slightly or look towards the SAS um, and and what was it about that that appealed to you was it did you see the infantry on steroids there sort of thing or what what was it that drew your attention towards the SAS so with my involvement with the parachute training school so mm. early on in the piece I started doing uh, more and more courses I did my my stick commander static line course I went back to do my parachute jump masters course you know yeah um, a DZSO course so I got more and more exposure at, exposure, at the parachute yep. school. Um, you just saw these guys with the, you know, with with the sandy berets, and they were cool. Yeah. Nothing yeah. facing, <laughs> they're unflappable. And there are a couple of um, couple of gods down in the um, in the freefall wing. You know, guys that I looked at and I thought, wow, um, Dave Weymouth, um, a mountain of a man with with the big bushy moo. He's <laughs> one of those characters. And he wasn't up himself. You know, mm. he was softly spoken. He was quiet. Um, and, uh, and he, he, you know, nothing would flap him. But you listen to some of the stories that he would tell or other people would tell about him, and you think, what the heck, you know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> how was that guy so calm, you know, when he's gone through all that stuff or he's had those experiences? Mm. Why is he still jumping out of planes if he's had, <laughs> you know, those, those <laughs> problems? Um, Dave Meager, uh, another character, um, 
smart, smart, smart guy, you know, always analysing things, working angles, finding a different way to improve this. Listen, if we tweak this, we get to squeeze about three more percent performance out of those. And we, you know, just really, really clever guy. And I watched the way their brains worked and how they communicated and how laid back they were. Yeah. And I thought, when I grow up, I want to be like that, you know, so that sort of <laughs> the seeds in my head. That's, that's the awesome. end state. Yeah. That's the goal. That's where I want to be. Um, battalion's good, but there's only, yeah. after 10 years of marching, punching your arms through, straight through front to rear, you know, saluting yeah. every time. It's, oh, man, give it a break. You know, yeah. so just get tired of that stuff. Um, yeah. And I saw these guys as a more mature, uh, uh, relaxed, and common sense. Um, like the parachute training school. Uh, routine orders would come out and say, listen, men, uh, whenever you're talking to the CO in future, could kindly refrain from leaning in his doorway with your hands in your pockets, you know, <laughs> and calling him Jim. You should stand... <laughs> at should, attention. Stand, yeah, well, not not even stand at attention. Just, just freestand in the doorway and refer to him as <laughs> sir. And this, this sort of stuff's getting posted in routine orders. And they're thinking, so, oh, right. oh, look, yeah, these guys are relaxed. <laughs> And so how old were you by then when you decided, um, okay, I'm going to do selection? So I suppose uh, early, uh, 20, years, 20 years old, I decided I wanted to do selection. Yep. So I, I, I put in all my paperwork uh, to go for selection, and I've turned up to the selection board that's arrived in Holsworthy, and yep. he said, we got the briefing on what was going to occur and uh, the physical tests and all these different things. And then um, he said, I'm going to post your times up for when you go before the panel and uh, get interviewed. So I've got yep. up and I've had a look and I've gone, hey, Sarge, my name's not on here. And he's looked at me and I've gone through his list. I've gone through this. No, you're not on there. And I said, well, I've, I've applied for this. And he goes, well, listen. And he, he just said this off the cuff like this isn't going to happen. He goes, if you can get back here by 2 o'clock with all of the paperwork that's required. And he gave me this list of folders and things. You know, it's one of two weeks' work running around the battalion, brigade headquarters, everywhere to pull together all this stuff. If you can get back here by 2 o'clock with all this stuff, I'll put you on the list at the end. I'm like, great. This is part of the test. <laughs> <laughs> off, off I went, and I moved heaven and earth. You know, you'd be down at RHQ, and he's going, well, no, listen, just go and get it. <laughs> you know, got all this paperwork. I bribed a few people, cashed in some favours, and I've rocked up back there and gone bang here it is and he sort of looked at me like I didn't think you're going to get that and he goes alright I'll put you on wow before that's I awesome even, yeah but before I even marched in to see the panel I could hear them reading excerpts from my PD-105 charge records <laughs> you know, and they're reading quotes uh, out of this and laughing and, and then reading another <laughs> one like, no, this isn't going too well so <coughs> marched in there when it was my turn to front up and one of yeah. the um, one of the officers said, "Take a seat, young fellow." And the other guy said, "Don't even sit down, mate. I've made up my mind." And I've looked at him, and I said, "Sir, if in all fairness, if this was a courtroom and you were judging me, and you are judging me, I'd get to make a plea in mitigation." And he and the other guy said, "Yeah, that's fair enough. What do you got to say?" And he goes, "No, I'm not even interested in what you have to say." And the other guy said, "Go ahead, tell me what you have to say." Well, like, geez, this isn't going too well at all. So I explained to them that um, I'd had a rather turbulent five years in the battalion, um, you know, quite colourful. Uh, all of it was just mischief-related. None of it was really insidious or nasty. Um, mm. And it was all alcohol-related. 
I said, since then I've cleaned up my act. I've been off the Terps for 11 months while I started training for this. Um, and one guy said, yeah, that sounds fair enough to me. And the other guy goes, no, 11 months of good behaviour doesn't make up for five years of debauchery. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the first guy, the, the friendly one, said, listen, keep your nose clean for another 12 months, come back and have another crack next year. I said, yes, sir. And left thinking, geez, okay. Well, at least it wasn't a sharp no. It yeah, a, yeah. Like like my posby, it was a not yet. Yeah. The, the next year, I was at, at PDS. I got posted to PDS, put in my application, admin fail. Not unsuitable admin reasons. Well, because I, I had, my charge record was bigger than my, uh, I had more charges than I had. Than your service record. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty bad. Um, and then, uh, so PDS was okay. I went to see the RSM. There was a regiment fellow, Dave Quinn. Um, yeah. Awesome guy. Absolutely awesome guy. I've lobbed up to Dave's office and said, sir, you know, explain my problem. He's looked at me and said, yes, how much do you want this? I said, oh, I want it. He goes, take a seat. Picked up the phone. He's rung the RSM regiment. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, yeah. Big arms. But he's rung him and said, listen, explain the, the story. And said, uh, I think the least you owe this fellow is to give him a run on selection. I said, yep. I got the green light. He put the phone down. He looked at me with those cold grey eyes and he said, don't make me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some motivation right yeah. there. But, Powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, that's so good to hear. So by the time that's come around, what are you, turning 21 now or 21 uh, by the time yeah, you actually yeah, got I on? I, I think I turned 21 just before I went. Just before you went, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it turned yeah. out I was, I, I was a bit long in the tooth compared to the other fellas that were there. Yeah. Uh, most, most of the other guys were a bit younger. Um, was I? T- still young. I, 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 might have, I might have young. these dates wrong, bro. I might have these dates wrong. I'd have to do some maths. I, geez, the <laughs> memory's good. a bit blurred. Yeah. <laughs> but man, but, yeah, I, I remember being the old man on the, on the selection course. Yeah, okay. You know, like I mentioned, Dave Quinn was a bit of a motivation for me where he said, you know, don't don't make me look bad. Don't make me look bad, yeah. The biggest motivation I had for when I fronted up for selection was my 2IC and airborne platoon. I'm in there packing up uh, the office, handing stuff over to him because he's going to fill in as the uh, OIC airborne platoon while I'm out. Gotcha, yeah. And he's just sat there and smiled and looked at me and goes, you'll be back. You'll be back broken up. Is that right? With a story. Why it's not your fault that you failed, you know, just like all the rest of them. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you and didn't deck him. It. Obviously, you didn't deck him then. Thankfully, no, no we we're, we're, were great mates. Oh. We were great mates, and I had an enormous amount of respect for this guy. Yeah. Um, and and statistically speaking, he's quite right. That, yeah, yeah. That's the way it went. You know, There's so many people front up and they come yep. back and they're broken and they've got a story for. Yeah. Why I passed, but I didn't get in. Well, yeah. I, I made it, but, you know. <laughs> they didn't select me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> dude, you didn't make it. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, that that was actually the biggest motivation I had. Hey, uh, that's so, a powerful so driver. Front back, I'm going to prove you wrong, mate. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I can relate to that. That's a powerful driver because I, I remember going before the selection in NZ, and I blink and we had PT, some sports, rolled my ankle in a basketball game. It's quite bad too, but it was only, it was probably only 10 days, maybe less than 10 days before the selection. And a, and a good mate of mine, good mate of mine said, um, well, at least you'll have an excuse for when you come off selection. 
And I just, I was like, you, if I if I needed any more motivation, that that was it. So I could relate to yeah. what what your mate just said then. And he was a good yeah. mate, so I was pleased to hear but, that at least he was a good mate. But I felt like decking the guy that said that to me. <laughs> someone told me a story, or I think I read it in an article about um, Tiger Woods uh, yeah. when he was, because you know he, he was, um, so he's he's. He's got African blood in him, and he, I think it's Thai. Is it the other one? So there's there are a lot of uh, racist people from different groups all hate, hated the guy when he went through university, and he used to receive hate mail all the time. Oh, right. He would take the hate mail and he'd stick it up on the um, the corkboard in his in his room. And his roommate said, "Man, what are you putting that stuff up there for? That's poison. You don't want to read that." He yeah. goes, "Mate, I, I read that every morning, and it motivates it feels me. Feels amazing." to prove them wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the best way to get revenge is through success. Mm. You know, you ignore the naysayers, punch through all the chaff and come out the other end shining and they're just going, oh, you got lucky. <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. Good advice, good advice. Hey, I, I wanted to carry on and delve now more into sort of for you and, and selection um, and what that was like. What was selection like for you uh, what did you was it what you expected was it worse than you expected was it better what what was that whole process like for you phil to i suppose to summarize uh selection mm. 18 18 days uh the selection course yeah there was no individual challenge or test on selection that i hadn't already performed something uh, that was equally difficult or arduous yeah uh, at any other time during my military career it's just I hadn't done them all together in an 18-day period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back to back to back. With some of them over, overlapping uh, and yeah. stuff like that. And um, I, I literally started off on the wrong foot. Uh, I made a rookie mistake in training. You know, you, you can get the body fit. That's easy. You yeah. just follow. They give you a program and you just follow that. You smash out those miles. You get pack fit and you get just used. Your body, as, as you're peaking in your physical fitness as you arrive, then the rest of it's up to your head, right? Mm-hmm. And don't get injured. So, <laughs> I, I, I trained and I had my favorite pair of boots. The ones with the Y-shaped sole, uh, the yeah, Y okay. pattern on the sole. The old Ys, they, they were the best boots you could get in the day. All right. And I uh, had one, one pair of those and another pair of the other ones, which I didn't like too much. And they rubbed a bit on the heels. So, I ended up favoring one pair of boots during training all yep. the time. And I... You know, soak them in a hot tub, work that leather, stand yeah. there, jump up and down on them, wear them wet for three days, you know, and then mm-hmm. hit them with the dubbin or the <laughs> wax and the, the hairdryer in there. I could hold those boots by the heel and just go flop, flop, flop. It was like suede on the top. Yeah, of the right. Sand shoes when I put them on, you know, they were they were the best boots. Wow. And I wore those, I wore the soles on them paper thin during training. Right, yeah, yeah. So we've rocked up at day one. Uh Jumped in the pool and did the swim test. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you a good swimmer? Like, are you like no. a lot of other Samoans that from the islands and then say they can't swim? <laughs> I'm an okay swimmer. I just yeah. know that I have a theory that the specific gravity of a lot of Polynesians is higher <laughs> than your average Caucasian. Because I was working harder than everyone else in the water, you know. They do those dead man float things yeah. where you lie on your back, you know. And, just, and you're sinking. As soon as I breathe out, I'm straight underwater. And it, so, you know, and you basically hyperventilate because you've got to exhale, inhale 
within <laughs> half a second. Otherwise, and then your face still gets washed with water, and you got to do it all again. Oh, man, that, but I, I pass that, and and some of it I, I just push myself really hard, like yeah. um, you know the underwater swim. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was never good at that stuff. Um, but I'm pushing myself, and I've looked around. Over in the corner was uh, a medic, and I knew him, Doc Rockall. He uh, he was one of the guys that was with us in the third battalion before he went over to the um, to the regiment to support them. And they had um, divers there as well. I thought, right, I'm going to give this 150, percent you know. And I've got I've done two laps of the pool, and I'm you know when you're touching the edge and you're bursting and you're ready to come up, and yeah. I turned around and went back again. You know, so, I, right. I'll, yeah, I'm just going to keep and ah. Uh, oh, I was, I was like gagging to take a mouthful of water and try and breathe that in, you know, where you, and everything's starting to get desperate. Just one more yeah. kick, one more kick, just a little bit more. Not until you get to the wall, you know. Yeah. And finally made it to the other end. But I was convinced that I'm going to die in that water before I fail this test. Mm. <laughs> uh, and they'll get me out and revive me. So yeah, that, that, we got that out of the way. But the, the piece that killed me was, uh, we, I think we then did, I can't remember, 20, 30k route march to get into, we got dropped off in the trucks and we had to stomp in um, by road to get to the to the camp to, yep. to start the course. And uh, it was about 40 degree heat, like the last few days. <laughs> and it's on an asphalt road and the soles of my boots are, are paper thin. Oh, um, mate, I lost all the skin off my big toes, the balls of my feet and the, the bottom of my heels. Not you know, not the normal rubbing that I was expecting on the back. Yeah, of the yeah. Um, everything came off the bottom of my feet, and so right. I, I was down in the RAP that evening. They opened up my boots because oh, I wasn't taking them off until I was going in there. Yeah. They were taking my boots off and had a look, and just going, "Wow!" Right, I in there with the scissors and tweezers, pulled all this huge plates of skin off with curochrome. Oh, you know, smashed it with that. Uh, they put a drip in me. I was dehydrated. Everyone was dehydrated. Yeah. They, they dropped two bags into me, um, retreaded my feet. They put this uh, duoderm stuff back on top just to pack it all in and seal it, and then off you go again. And uh, <laughs> every step, every step was just like a flash of pain, you know, um, up there about eight out of ten on the Richter scale. Yeah. For about the first five minutes, and then it just sort of calmed down to just this dull roar sitting around five or six out of ten and then that I could cope with when it was constant yeah. it was okay so every time we stopped for a while the first few steps once I got going mate, I look must have looked like a 70 year old yeah <laughs> but once I got into the rhythm I was okay and I could keep going so as a result I actually failed a couple of the tests you know um, I had to go back for a retest on the 3.2 uh, yep. Just just made it in on the on the second one. Um, I had to do a retest on the twenty clicker. And yep. Came in. I failed the second one by about sixteen seconds, but I think they cut me some slack because my my feet were you know they were yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, they're wrecked. Um, yeah. <laughs> they've said um, when you go to the shower, like, whatever you do, don't get them wet. We're worried about infection. So they yeah. put my feet in uh, plastic bags. Shimmy Bags, into the shower yeah. on my backside, backside, <coughs> you know, it's one of those big open showers. Yeah. Mate, while you're down there, you think, geez, mate, I, <laughs> I would have been a rich man. You think, yeah, yeah, very funny. <laughs> but yeah, they, they patched them up. Um, I, I, they got infected halfway through. 
um, we did a, a water obstacle crossing. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the series of impossible tasks that can't be completed yeah, in the yeah. time frame. Yeah. And uh, we were in the water in this dirty, dirty, stinking old dam. And uh, my feet just got infected. And that was it. As far as I was concerned, I've just got to work harder. You know, I've just got to, this is killing me, but it's not going to, it's not going to, this is painful, but it's not killing me. Um, I've just got to work that much harder and just push through and push through and push through. Yeah. So right from the get-go, mate, it was uphill. And and there was no way I was going back to face uh, Broomhilda. Yeah. (laughs) Who said, you'll be back. Ah, right. Yeah. Jeez, that is unreal. Because that first pack march would have been day one, right? Day one. After the swim day, test, day and then the day one, yeah. one would have been day one. So you, day one, my feet were toast. Hey. Yeah, and, and they, yeah. like even right through to the very end, they were still pretty bad. Um, <laughs> George, man, I tell you yeah. what. So he mentioned to me because he he went through the year before me. Right. Okay. So he had already done selection before yeah. before you. Yeah. So yeah. I've turned up, and and now I'm George's brother. I'd be saying, well, actually, I was born first. He's my brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he'd mentioned me um, on that, you know, the happy wanderer, the navigation yeah. phase. Yeah. Can you put your head down, follow a bearing, get your next checkpoint, and just, just, just death by, you know, paces and bearing. Yeah, yeah. And George had mentioned to me, um, you know, tune in, uh, grab the 77 set, dialing yeah. at 69.95 megahertz, um, was ABC television audio now, i think when george had done his happy wanderer phase it must have been a friday saturday night and they had rage playing so he'd be listening to some pretty cool tunes uh, yeah right stomping away at night so i've ripped the pack off dialed in 69.95 play school's on <laughs> and the tune i'm a dingle dangle scarecrow with a flippy floppy hat i can shake my arms like this i can shake my legs like that that was stuck in my head for three days as I cursed the name George <laughs> and got my head down and just smashed as many checkpoints as I could get. Yeah. So the fact that I can even remember that what that song was was yeah. Mate, they, they can tell it's permanently embedded and etched yeah. into your brain now after that. That's hard yeah. case. Ah, what an incredible story. But I, I love how that what you've what I'm hearing and what you're painting for me here, which ties in beautifully with with regards to what we're trying to do with this podcast, as well as get to know the individual and your experiences and the stories. It's just what a powerful story of resilience that is, from my perspective anyway. Um, Yeah, selection's hard. They're meant to be. But when you rock up and then you have that on day one, because I can imagine, I I remember, you know, some of the preparation and stuff of myself, but then listening to you, how you had those boots, well-worn, wet, soaked, stomped on them. They were nice, supple, soft With, you know, there's the bottom part, paper thin, but you don't know what you're walking into. And then to, to end up on that, I don't know many people that wouldn't have just gone, stuff this, you're peeling my feet off the bottom, like connected to you having to try to grab implements yeah. to do that. There's yeah. there's a reason right there for people to quit. But the way you just carried on, powered through that, that's awesome, bro. That's a real testament it to like you. Where did we re- Retread every night. Retread, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to yeah. say. So were you... Uh, did the medics give you um, just extra uh, supplies so that you could do a bit of a retread, self patch up when you're out on your own no, in different no, parts? No, no, they, no. Didn't, they didn't. And I didn't want to be 
taken my boots off at any phase. Yeah. Those boots were on in the morning and they stayed on stayed all day on. until yeah. the medics – because the, the, the main thing we were really worried about was infection and yeah. swelling. Um, it was just so much pain. And so every time I took them off, you know, they, my feet would swell up uh, and then Bloody it was hard hell. to get them back on again. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Bloody hell. Oh, that's that's so good to hear. Terrible the experience, but so good to hear. Like though, you hear of these things, and you think, man, you know, it can be done. Things can be done. We can go a little further. I can push a little bit more. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm for myself personally loving hearing that because I haven't heard of an experience of anybody um, having to go through that. Not particularly not from a day one of selection, maybe part way through and later on down the track where the feet are pretty wrecked and stuff, but yeah. you're on, you're definitely on the downhill stretch by then, but you're day well, one into 18 days. And also to add to that, uh, mine was the last of the hard courses. The hard ones, the hard ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I, yeah. I, I would have thought George would have said his one was the last of the hard ones when, when you were coming through. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I'll tell you, it's funny, we're, we're doing courses and stuff and following in, in George's footsteps. So um, yeah. in 93, they did the first uh, pilot series of uh, removing the patrol medics course from uh, Point Cook and taking it away from, um, you know, I think it was the, the RAF running them at Point Cook for the patrol oh, medics, okay. the three-month right. course. And so they thought, no, we should keep this in-house and, and keep it specific. So they ran a pilot course. George was on that uh, yep. and he topped it. I came in for the second one that was now it's an established course and I'm a patrol medics course. I've topped it. And at the end of it, when they're handing out the the trophy, he handed me a blank trophy and he said, because this is the first course that we've actually run here in the regiment uh, and as a student of merit, you get to go off, get your name engraved and put it on there. And I said, hey, Sarge, isn't this actually the second one? Wasn't the pilot course last year? And he goes, yeah, well done, smartass. Go and find out who topped last year's course and put his name in front of yours. So the patrol medic student emerit trophy starts off with two towels. George, you know, I'll, yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool. That is very cool. Nice piece of history and stuff there too, man. That's awesome. And so the what about how much of a break? So I'm imagining let's let's fast forward to the end of selection. You get to the end. And then what was it? What was that process like in terms of how many of you started actually first, and how many finished? Oh, can you remember I, roughly? I can't remember how many started, but it was two herkloads, so it's going to yeah. be you know up around 120 blokes uh, or more, yeah, yeah. and that's just the the interstate guys, yeah. and then the other. So so let's ballpark it and say it was about 150. Um, yeah, and then uh, I think at the end, I, I remember they're standing there reading out the names. Yeah. Yeah, when you're standing on parade at the very end of it. And it took three names for me to realise I don't want my name to be called. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be in name. that group. Yeah. Yeah, I, I work with those guys. No, don't call my name. Don't call my name. Uh, and they called them all out and they all moved over there. Yeah. And then we had um, Porky Hibbert uh, came over. Oh, and said, right, wow. Well done, you guys. Um, he was training wing or, or training squadron. Uh, he was still he was training wing when I went through, when, and he did the same thing. Grabbed us, those of us whose names hadn't been called out. And they, yeah, great, man. great bloke, Porky. Yeah, uh, awesome dude. Hibbert. I had him as an SSM as well, which is a right really experience. Really yep. good guy. Um, we, we had a couple of good uh, man-to-man chats. Was he an <laughs> officer? No, 
He mustn't have no, been a no. commission officer then, eh? Yeah, because he was no. captain Porky Hibbert when I went through. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, he went to the dark yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. still a top man, good man, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, and I can't remember. I think it was like 10 days, two weeks uh, break to just, just to get yeah get back up to speed before we went and smashed the patrol course. Um, so the first thing I did was uh, George whisked me away. We went up the coast to uh, his mate's house, uh, Jimmy Jam, uh, water operators, and they both, they were feeding me pizza and whiskey and telling me you've got to be a water operator. You've got to be a water. Operator. <laughs> you got to be a water. <laughs> and how much harder water operators are than all the other poodle fakers, you know. All that sort of stuff. Um, you've got to deservice the boats. You've got to do this. We work harder. We're smarter. We're fitter. You know, and away they went with all this stuff. I turned up as a parachute jump instructor, standing yeah. and as a parachute jump master freefall, and I had a lot of other advanced and experimental trial uh, experience with you know, different parachuting techniques. And what do you reckon the chances are I was going to be a water operator? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get the thing, you go, which troop would you like? And I said, oh, water troop. They all just laughed and said, air troop, second on the right. <laughs> 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 Yeah, because I, I could imagine, yeah, straight away, they're going, well, yeah, look at the background, the skills, the competence, the experience. Yeah, yeah you're not going to water yeah, operator. Well, well, <laughs> you know, well, water operators need to jump as well, but um, yeah. look, to be perfectly honest, with the level of skill set I had, uh, yeah. and, and look, I'll, I'll tell you, it was a bit of, I had some brick walls coming in with that level of parachute experience because, like, in the normal cycle of things, in the normal army, yeah. you go and do courses and you get qualified. Um, in the regiment in that time, everything was on a one-third th- one speed scale because you rotated through training year, wall rolls, CT, back to yeah. training year again. So your your opportunity to do one course and then come back and do a follow-on course wasn't going to happen the next year. It was mm. going to happen four years from when you did the first one. So yeah, everything yeah. was slowed down. So for those guys to start doing advanced parachute courses, it was going to take them three times longer to get yeah. the skills that I had. And so gotcha. the other guys who were my parachuting uh, peers were senior crusty old warrant officers, you know. And so I, I actually, within two squadron, I was given a piece of paper, which was it was a waiver. It was a license to kill. It said um, Trooper Talalay is, uh, Trooper Talalay is, uh, due to his qualification, blah, 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 Trooper Talalay is recognised as the OIC for all parachute operations uh, for two squadron. However, due to his rank, uh, responsibility will be held by Sergeant McLennan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm happy with this, you know. Yeah. I get to make whatever This is a good deal. And yeah. Give the OC guidance and advice on parachute capabilities and, uh, you know, and limitations for insertions and plane operations. But if it goes pear shape, Bruce is going to get a kick in the pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's gold. Right. See, because yeah. you would have been a trooper, eh? That's as a trooper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Man, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, okay. So you don't remember how roughly how many had finished, eh? Must have been oh, like... No, it was only 21, 22. 20 something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Small numbers. Oh, man, that's wicked. And so then you had a, roughly a 10-day gap, you're saying, from memory, before you yeah. started cycle. How were your feet? How was your feet and your body? No, the feet, 
But feet, feet came good. Oh, the, well, oh, yeah? after all the whiskey, pizza, and uh, water <laughs> operations briefings from the boys, um, and, and they sport me, you know. They, yeah. You, you know, like when you when you when you're out doing something like selection, or you're doing is thinking about Kentucky Fried or whatever. For me, it was <laughs> yeah. pizza. They they made sure I got plenty of pizza, and I was I oh, came wow. back and I was good to go. Um, yeah, awesome. And then the next thing we were bracing ourselves for was um, resistance to interrogation. Yeah, yeah. You don't know that's going to come somewhere around the patrol course, but you don't know yeah. when. You know, don't know when. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I had, uh, <laughs> I was particularly worried about the resistance to interrogation because the year before, there was an incident where an unnamed, unnamed Samoan gentleman, with a similar, similar surname to me, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> was reluctant to submit to a uh, digital rectal examination. <laughs> Broke his plastic cuffs and had some of the the staff by the throat about about to explain to him why he didn't want that to happen. Uh, when the DS have come bursting in saying stop, 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 out of exercise, you know, everyone stop you going, what's going on? And and then they started up again, but without the inspection. Yeah. Here's me turning up a year later, same surname. What do you think is going to happen to me? Some amateur proctologist is going to think, right, I'm going to extract my revenge on you, young fella. So I knew this was coming. And so uh, I've gone to see the medics and I've explained my dilemma. They've given me a tube of um, some ointment for some kind of rectal disorder. Half of it I've squeezed on the ground. I carried that tube in my top left pocket for six weeks. Everywhere I went, that tube was in there because that, now I've got a medical reason or the, the, the you know, it looks like I've got a medical reason. Yeah, it looks like you've got, yeah. The exam, yeah, and mate, Exactly that happened. We went in the Is bag, that right? Yeah. Yeah. And they've got me over the table. And I'm saying, you can't do that. I've got a medical condition. You haven't. And I said, check the top left pocket of my of my uniform. And they've gone through and out. He has got a medical reason. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got out of that. Oh, yeah. That's, that's funny, though. That's do, do you reckon you want to break the plastic cups as well? No, they changed the plastic cuffs, so we um, on, to the steel? this was part of the brief. The st- yeah, the steel springs yeah. from the plastic yeah. springs. Uh, <laughs> like, the other thing, you know, you, you know, when um, when you go in the bag, they they take it, they pull together a profile sheet on you. you know, so yeah, we've all been bundled out of the trucks onto the ground, screaming and yelling. You know, dogs barking and bright lights everywhere, and um, they put. Um, Instead of blindfolding us or whatever, they, they put these uh, like blacked out goggles. Yeah. Um, just, you know, Oakleys with tape over them. Yeah. Well, thankfully for me and, and my service, every second Friday, uh, my nose was gradually moving across <laughs> my face <laughs> from right hook. So when they put these goggles on, I had this nice big peephole. You know, Gap, yeah. Exactly what was going on everywhere around me. And I knew we we're going to get profiled. They're going to take a photo. And I, I don't know, but. If you're looking at the photo on a profile sheet trying to work out how to interrogate somebody, how, how they look in that photo has got to impact what type of style of interrogation you choose or give you some sort of... So I thought, when they take my photo, I know this is coming, I'm going to pull this you know, hard-ass face uh, to, to tone down what type of interrogation I get. So come through, I got forced to my knees. I could see the flash, you know, in front of me uh, through the through the gap in my eye. This is the photo bit. This is the photo bit. Right, brace yourself, hard guy face. Get ready. Shoved to my knees, goggles off. Pulled the tough guy face. Took the photo, and out we went. I thought I nailed that. And I got smashed. 
I, I got absolutely smashed in the interrogations. I was dragged off for, you know, all of the really mundane. The harsh ones. Yeah, oh, the boring. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, the boring. Oh, and the harsh ones where you just get yeah. yelled at and abused and given yeah. things to do. Uh, but, you know, like I'd be doing something and he's, he's telling me, stand up, do this, do that, do that. He goes, what are you, some kind of idiot? I looked at him and said, is that a rhetorical question? What do you want an answer? Because if you want an answer, I can't answer that question. And the corner of his mouth went up in a smirk, and I thought, I got you. After 40 minutes of that, I, I, I got you, mate. You, you got know? him. Yeah. The same with the um, yeah, the boring old name, rank, serial number, date of birth. Yeah. And yeah. then 50 minutes into it, name, rank, serial number, date of birth, unit. And I stopped. I looked yeah. up at him and made direct eye contact. And you, you're doing things like trying to slow him down, drag it yeah. out. You know, regimental number and you drag the regimental drag it out and just just slow him down slow him down don't yeah. let him dictate the pace and every yeah. time he threw a curly one in there bang eye contact you know I, I'm, I'm onto you um, <laughs> yeah, but, but I got smashed and then at the end of it we got to see our profile sheets and the tough guy face yeah, right. looked more like yeah, oh, like, a scared face. So that's why they come yeah, after you. Yeah, I must have looked like, oh, you know, like a deer in their headlights. I thought, geez, that didn't work out. Uh, but it achieved the goal, you know. You, you, I think you go through RTI and you look at it at the end of it. The, the take-home lesson is don't get caught. Do not get yeah. caught. Whatever you do, don't yeah. get caught. And the other thing you learn along the way too is if you ever meet one of those int guys on the street, punch him straight in the face. <laughs> punch him in the face. <laughs> Right. Did they? Did they at the end? I remember it, they they all at this is at the end when you know, we all got lined up, turned around blindfolds. We had the same. Sounds like we had the same thing. The goggles and some duct tape and stuff on them, and they were yeah. all standing in. And they all gave us a big round of applause at the end. And I think probably right. because they were mindful of that, we just wanted to we just wanted to wring their necks. Yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because I didn't like them. I didn't like what they do, and I didn't mm. like them doing it to me. Yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> and you, you look, you look at those photos and stuff that come out of Guantanamo Bay, where all these people at civvies are going, "Oh, this is terrible, this is terrible." Yeah. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Really? That's nothing. Yeah. Uh, man, if only you knew. Hundred percent. But if that's what the good guys can do to you, and yeah. they can mess with your head and get inside yep. your your brain, um, yeah, what could the bad guys imagine? Do? So just, yeah. just don't get caught. Absolutely, man. Echo those those sentiments completely. Mm. Did you have any hallucinations during your uh, RTI yeah, phase? I had a, I, yeah, I had a couple. So <laughs> I was lucky, though. Um, I think one of the things that uh, uh, I got given the pajamas without signing for them. Is and, that right? I think they did that, yeah, to break other people. So like these guys would be sitting there on the the people's mat, shivering away, uh, <laughs> the looking people's around, mat. going, "Yeah, hey, he's got pajamas. That prick. He must have signed for them." <laughs> You know, and it just it was messing with their brain. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with that little peephole that I've got looking around, thinking, like, oh, this is pretty good. And I look around <laughs> to my left, and there's a pair of legs. I'm like, oh, there's a pair of bang over the head. <laughs> Face the front. <laughs> Jeez. And I sniff, sniff, sniff. And like, I can smell, I can smell laundry detergent on his uniform. So I'd be sitting there, and yeah, you know, there's dogs barking. You can feel their breath yeah. on your face. Uh, you can smell women's perfume. Uh, there's a generator running. There's uh, music and stuff playing. And they, they ring the bell, stand up, ring the bell, mark, and you know, all those things are going on. So have a sniff. I can't smell laundry detergent. Quick, 
have a look around. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> but I was sitting there for a while, and um, I got into the space where, you know, with the light coming through uh, out of focus, it looked like um, a whole lot of lace curtains. And I had this, like, this Arabian vision, you know, do 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 with belly dancers, shadows of belly dancers. <laughs> right. I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I realized, <laughs> stop. <laughs> do you know where you are? Yeah. Don't entertain this course of thought any further. Yeah. <laughs> Crack up, man. Yeah. It's hard case. But it, it is. It's funny, those experiences and when when they do take you to that place, because I never experienced it. That was my first, I think for me anyway, my first time experiencing an actual hallucination. Mine was pretty mundane. It was just, I thought mine was sort of like a dream and a, or a cross between a dream and what I thought was reality. I was walking around and, and in my vision, I could see myself and I'm the only one still in chains and my goggles on and everybody else is walking around telling me, what are you doing? It's finished. I was like, no, it's not. They're like, yes, it is. And then I could see other guys, coming out and telling me that it's just like, oh, and so then I took my goggles off and then I got a big crack on the head and like, put your goggles back on. Keep still, sit down, what are you doing? And And then that was a quick reality check for me. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is still going. It's not over yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, man. And so your cycle, did your cycle carry on? How long was your cycle? Was it nine months, 10 months, 18 months? No, uh, we we knocked it over in the year. Uh, oh, and yeah. I was in the squadron uh, the, the the very next year. Went straight to two squadrons. And two squadron. What was your guys? We use what we use uh, green oh, rolls, black roll stuff. Uh, so we were in the training year. Oh, training year. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Man. Um, and how was how was that for you? Oh, it was uh, field craft's my thing. I, I, you know, getting out there doing so. No, no, I beg your pardon. So we wrapped up, we wrapped up our Rio cycle as yep. the squadron wrapped up its training year. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we've come out on the, the tail end of the training year and then bounced yep. straight into war roles. But so, yeah, um, for gotcha. example, when, when my Rio cycle did their uh, military freefall course, I was doing my freefall instructors course. So I was an instructor for, for those the Air Ops Rios that came through, yeah. which was good. And that was that was it. I ticked all the big boxes now for parachute operations. Um, yeah. So yeah, and that that, that, that was uh, that was really well, they worked out really well the way they stacked all that stuff. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And how was wall rolls? Yeah, sorry, yeah, go. It, it, comfortable uh, uh, patrolling with a rifle. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the um, small teams. Yeah, a small team of people uh, doing something that's a little bit harder, certainly unexpected, uh, and what the asymmetrical results that you can achieve. Mm. I love that stuff, you know. Yeah. We, um, yeah, so it's some pretty interesting stuff. Um, we did. Uh, uh, what, what were those? What were those big um, exercises up in Tyndall? One of the first ones they ran up there. Um, we we got flown in. Um, Came in with a Spec Ops crew, uh, blacked out Herc, uh, like yeah, zero right. electronics. Um, navigator sitting up there with a sextant in the bubble, reading stars. Flew a big dog leg around Australia to do a glide approach into uh, a remote airstrip 
in the Northern Territory. We've got a civvy troop carrier uh, in the back uh, with these drums with all our military gear in it, a false lid, and then some water on the top. Yeah. And we're dressed in civvies. And so glide approach, the Cirque just comes in gently, lands on a remote strip. The, uh, the caretaker's house, lights didn't come on. Uh, it's turned around, we've rolled the car off the back, gone up to crash gate four, snipped the padlock, uh, snipped the chain, put an extra padlock in the link, so now we've got a key to crash gate four. And then it's done a, uh, a low throttle, uh, full flap, uh, crawling takeoff, and it's used the whole strip, and the circs just slowly glid out of there. Like wow. Zero lights, you just see this shadow and you hear this gentle growl. Watching the caretaker's house, no lights came on, so we, we snuck in there, drove up, and we positioned ourselves to go and disrupt Tyndall because um, our, our goal was to uh, lock them down, keep them in defensive mode, mode and keep, keep bodies defending the airbase that couldn't be released to other parts of the exercise. So we're up there, and we, we did a 20K standoff. We found, we'd identified on a map uh, a couple of places where a meandering river had these, you know, the little oxbow cutouts where a river loops right around on itself. The, you, you get nah. the, the loop in a river, it actually connects back up. And now the river flows oh, okay. yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the shortcut, yeah. and you're left with this little C section. Those little yeah. dry sections there, we'd identified a couple of those on the map, and we thought, that's the best place to hide a car. And so we'd gone in there, and we'd set so up it's... this massive little camp, hid the car in there, and the, the plan was we would drive in, park the car up, walk in the last day on foot, OP, and then hit him. And we did that several times. Um, stole a Humvee. <laughs> we stole a Humvee and drove it around, shooting up Tyndall from the inside at 2 o'clock, trying to, as much as possible, disrupt the um, the uh, the flight line or uh, where, where all the officers, the pilots, were sleeping, just to yeah. destroy their crew duty uh, hours, to, to give them additional rest and start the ground aircraft. Uh, placed notional charges on a whole swag of aircraft and when we did the navigational beacons the guys looked at me and said phil you got five kids you can go up in that tack and put the charge in there <laughs> <laughs> because the rest of us want to have kids and you, you've already they want to have mates, kids so yeah they do. yeah so, oh okay so gone in there placed all these charges okay but one of the funniest ones was on one of the patrols we're sneaking in from the north we want to come right around the other side and there's that, you know, that elephant grass stuff? Like, it's as thick as your finger. Uh, and it's Oh, okay, itself. yeah. Is that what it's called? Elephant grass? Well, that's what I call it. But you'd be sneaking through yeah, it. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no okay. Yeah, yeah. No through sneaking through that. Yeah. yeah. I've got the PVS4 alphas. You remember those big old things? Mate, it's like wearing a fridge on your face. You're almost leaning backwards. <laughs> um, to, to counterweight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not to mention what it's doing to your neck. We're all, we've got completely different uniforms, <laughs> chest webbing, um, different weapon systems. We're coming in, uh, approaching the, the corner of the airbase where we're about to climb the fence, and you hear, halt. And, you know, as soon as you hear, halt, that's it. They've got a beat on you. There's no way around it. And so without thinking, quick as a flash, I said, is that you, Jonesy? What? Is that you, Jonesy? No. <laughs> We've been walking around out of here for ages. Who are you guys? And it, they were Americans. And, uh, and, he, and he goes, yeah, I've been watching you. I said, really? He goes, what are you doing out here? I said, we, we, just, we just laid some ground sensing devices. We've been stomping around trying to find how we 
where we where our unit is. Do you know where three sig is? No, no. I said, oh, listen, we might climb in the fence here and head down that way and see if they're down there. And he goes, no, that's uh, that's Australian infantry down there. We thought, okay, we're not going that way. We'll we'll go up that way. And if we get really stuck, we'll come back here. We'll spend the night with you blokes and we'll sort this out in the morning. He goes, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> so they've, they've helped us climb the fence and we've gone in and uh, just smashed a whole lot of nav beacons and aircraft yeah it's a your classic uh, who dares win, you know, don't yeah. take no for an answer just keep talking uh, while we're standing around talking um, they've all got their weapons by the pistol grip pointing at the ground while well, they, they all yeah. stood up and came over and talked to us we were all casually carrying our weapons pointing at them with the safety catches <laughs> off, you know, <laughs> just ready to go if this, if this went. And, and they didn't notice. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, case. Uh, and and I, I imagine the next day when uh, all of these, um, the, D, the DS notionally said, right, you've lost all of these aircraft and these, these uh, navigation aids, I'll bet you these guys didn't put their hand up and go, hey, Sarge, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, we helped yeah. some guys come in, but they were we lost. They were looking for Jonesy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Kia ora, everybody. And that ends part one of this conversation with Philip Taulele in the service of others. Who dares wins? We hope that you can join us next week for part two.